Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on the Recruitment Roundup podcast, which is brought to you by BMS Performance. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, BMS Performance is a specialist sales and marketing recruitment consultancy. For the last 30 years, we've been helping businesses across the UK recruit for vacancies at every level. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Recruitment Roundup podcast brought to you by BMS Performance. I'm your host, Mike Leather. I'm the co-host, Sam Musiadira. And today we're joined by a special guest, Mark Milstead. Mark, welcome to the show. Really, really appreciate you taking some time out this morning to record this with us. Not at all, Mike. Thank you for the, for the invite and uh, and Sam. And it's um, a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Good. Looking forward to getting stuck into the subject of psychometric testing. Um, one that is at the forefront of a lot of minds at talent acquisition professionals but also we speak to a lot don't we Sam um, in terms of sales leaders but as a way of getting started Mark why don't you um, give a brief introduction to yourself and what it is that you do now? Yeah sure so I'm the sales director for Thomas International in the UK so I run a a team of account executives um, helping to support the go-to-market strategy for, for Thomas. Thomas is a brand that is I think pretty well known in the HR and talent acquisition community. It's a 40 plus year old organization that is known as a provider of psychometric um, tests or assessments, or as we call them now, people, people science insights. But uh, we help support organizations recruit, retain, and develop people. People science insights. I can't say I didn't make that up myself. That's uh, <laughs> somebody else's. Mark, I'm obviously interested um, on the back of a lot of the stuff that you said. Um, fantastic introduction, by the way. Um, in our industry, not just within recruitment, but across sort of business to business sales, you know, medical construction, you name it. It's been a challenging year for a lot of sales leaders and obviously a lot of sales managers and a lot of sales teams. Um, mm. Just interested to find out how, you know, your team has managed to cope with 2023 so far. OK, so I'm probably a little bit biased if I say brilliantly, but um uh, no, we. I think we've. Uh, I think we've coped with with the challenges um, pretty well. I'm I'm lucky to work with a uh, a team of I think uh, individuals that have got lots of resilience. Um, they understand that sales is a roller coaster ride, as you two both know. Yeah. And I think as well, I'm lucky to work with a team of people that have got a growth mindset, um, which. Uh, is one I think you need uh, when things aren't necessarily going according to plan and you've got to roll with the punches. You've got to innovate and look for new ways of, of working and, yeah. and not stick to the, the tried and tested. So like all businesses and all sales businesses, we've had our challenges because you know we're selling predominantly into HR um, and we're selling a solution that is largely used for recruitment. So the demand has 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 dropped, but yeah. we're we're blessed at at Thomas in that our solution is very broad in terms of who it serves. We're not in any one particular vertical. Yeah. So we'll cross those and and we've got an incredible brand name and reputation that can help deliver value for customers regardless of economic climate. Yeah, really interesting. Um particularly the growth mindset piece. It's something that we've focused on a lot in our business, but I think um have a look at a lot of the sales leaders that we speak to um, strategies that they might have um, had in place last year 
haven't have been as effective this year. You mm. mentioned that you've had to innovate as a sales team and a sales leader, Mark. What were some of those innovations that you had to do at Thomas? Well, I think um, the innovation comes, not notwithstanding product innovation or market innovation, comes from how do you how do you reach and speak to people that from a new business perspective how do you yeah, how yeah, do you yeah. try and develop new channels of communication and um that i think is where the innovations come from the the sales team um the aes and the sdrs that we've got at thomas and yeah. the ways that we've tried to um think creatively of how we can talk to to new audiences and to try and attack the white space um which as we all know on this on this um call is is the challenge that salespeople always face. I can Absolutely. see Sam smiling yeah. at me, but he's gonna to wanna to get stuck into what no, he's no, creatively here. Yeah, exactly. Read Mark his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Mike knows me too well. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, I'm a massive fan of new business and you've spoken about the white space. I really love that term too. Interested to find out about maybe what approaches that you feel like have probably stood out and that have made you guys be successful this year that are probably a bit more unique than you've probably done and, and implemented in previous years. Well, I don't, I'm not I'm not sure there's any there's any sort of um, reinventing the wheel when it comes to to, to new business. Yeah, we've obviously gone through uh, a transformation in new business acquisition in the last sort of 10, 15 years with new tools available in terms of email sequencing cadencing and outreach tools that allow you to develop new business and i you know i remember probably 15 years ago everyone was talking about the the death of cold calling and the death of the phone and no one wants to talk to you Um, sorry (laughs) they still are they still are talking about you read a lot of that on linkedin yeah but i think we know that the the reality is probably somewhat different and of course now people don't respond to email and if you look at the email response rates yeah. Um, from from sales professionals, but and also marketing as well, they feel this. Uh, people aren't responding, and the return on investment on that isn't isn't working as well. So I actually think people welcome a phone call because it's novel. So um, absolutely. So I think you know the old adage of of speaking to people and making sales a you know a one to one human interaction is really important. Um, for us, though, from an innovation, if you can call it an innovation, I think it's really important that you make sure that you're contacting as many people in an organisation because, as we know, the, the buying committee or the, the people that you talk to in, in an account or in a prospect account, you're having to talk to more and more people and you're having to, be, you're having to multi-thread more effectively. More and more individuals are involved in buying decisions. Yeah. And so you can't just rely on, on one contact. So, and I think that that approach starts from your outreach and your new business. It's it you know it starts from that point before you've even spoken to them. It's about mapping out in an organisation who to talk to and who you should target, and and more importantly, why they should speak to you. And I think the other thing about new business outreach is I think the the days of the sort of sp- uh, the the prey and spray approach yeah is, yeah. is probably gone. Um, which when I started in sales was probably what I was doing, if I'm honest. Um, I think you have to be really super targeted from a new business perspective in terms of your value proposition and and what you offer and not just making sure you've got the right ideal customer that you're speaking to, but also the personas in those organisations and you've got something that they value and you can demonstrate you've got a, a problem that they that you can solve. 
Yeah. Yeah. 100%. We talk a lot, don't we, Sam, in our business. And I think it's true at the moment of that inch wide, mile deep. Yeah. yeah um, thought process and really understanding the market that you're going after, but having an idea of what are those decision makers and influencers experience at the moment, what problems have they got that your um, service or solution can actually solve and be more targeted in that manner. But no, great. I mean, it's great to hear that you guys have had such a um, good 2023, I would say, um, which is which is great. If we get onto the subject of psychometric um, testing assessments, a majority of the audience listening to this will be aware in some way, shape or form of what they are, I would have thought. But for those that haven't, I wanted to kick it off just by getting your take, Mark, on what is now a psychometric profile and assessment, and then we'll drill down from there. Well, I think probably the first thing to 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 note is that it's not an assessment, and okay, um, that but that is a that is a that is an industry wise term, you know, psychometric assessments or tests. Yeah. Um, but then they're not that because that implies that there's a right or wrong, and of course there isn't a right or wrong. You're, you're talking about trying to identify uh behave in our case behavioral and personality traits of an individual that allows you to give uh your organization extra points of data to make a recruitment decision and to understand yeah. what sits behind the cv and what sits behind the individual uh that you're interviewing so um calling them an assessment or a test for me has always seemed a little bit um anathema to that so they're 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 they're, they're insights so there's no right or wrong um but what they effectively allow you to do as mentioned is is you've got the ability to gain an, a greater understanding of the person what drives them um their behavioral preferences in the workplace how they might cope with pressure how they might cope with um stress how their work uh, or the behaviour changes in, in, in the workplace to outside the workplace, but also lots of really great stuff in terms of not just being able to understand the person to allow you to make the right recruitment decision, but also the really important thing post-recruitment around onboarding mm. and how you are going to best get the, the, the most out of the individual in that onboarding process, but also how they work in a hybrid environment. You know, okay. that's that's a big thing that businesses have had to adapt to and sales teams have had to adapt to. I know BMS have had to adapt to this, is yeah. how, do you, how do you go from a sales organization that's used to being in the office to one that's hybrid and how do individuals cope with that? Because not all of us cope with it in the same way. How you are best to manage and motivate them. Um, so it's it's not just about, is this person going to be offered a job or not and what does it say yes or no but it's right how are we going to get that salesperson productive in the first 12 months which i think we all agree is the most critical of a salesperson's yeah. um journey and one of the things that i always say to organizations that come to us with the the key challenge of our attrition's too high we need to mm -hmm. recruit better is that they need to think about this as more than just stopping when the candidate starts work for them. It's not just yeah. about, right, they've started work, I've done my job, brilliant. Mm. I think you need to look at that as a as a, almost a 12-month process. There's, there's loads we can dig into here, but 
if you look at the um, companies that you partner with that get that 12 month piece right, what what are they doing differently to maybe some of the ones that you're talking to are prospects, not yet Thomas customers that that they're, they're not doing? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say, Mike, that they think about it from a strategic perspective, not a tactical perspective. And I think a lot of organisations, when they go to recruit, are doing it on the back foot. Okay. And it's almost like a, uh, a whack-a-mole sort of troubleshoot. Right, often a rep has just resigned. They hadn't seen it coming. Yeah. What do we do? And it's, I need to get that position filled by January. And of course, um, you don't necessarily have a strategic, we've not actually got a strategic approach to what you're doing. So I would say that the good organisations tie in our solutions to an actual wider talent and then people strategy. Cool. And they're thinking about, okay, the actual interview process, what it will look like, where we fit into that, where we add value, and then once you go through the onboarding process, so they're working quite closely with line managers and L&D departments and HR and talent to then see that journey through and, and it's linked up. Yeah. So it's the organisations and it's HR that are seeing, uh, let's say, L&D and, and talent acquisition as, as a joined up thing. And they're working very much in collaboration. Mark, I've got a I've got a question to ask just on the back of that. In terms of you've spoken about organizations and structure quite a bit, which is fantastic to hear. I suppose are there any sectors which this probably works better in? And equally on the other end, which are the sectors that probably don't adapt it as well? You think about psychometric testing. There's no there's no real particular sector, as I, as I said, Sam. We 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 have got a really broad um, cross-section of, of verticals that we deal with. So there's no one particular sector that I would say it doesn't work in. You can't use it for that. You might find that there, and that there, actually there are cases of, of job role. So mm. for example, you can talk to an organisation that has quite a large workforce, but has a large percentage of, let's say, blue collar workers that might seem, um, and, and these often work in contract roles, that when they're hiring for those positions, a solution like ours is a little bit overkill and yeah. it's not fit for purpose. But in terms of the actual vertical, there's no real data to say that it's great here and not so great there. One of the um, takeaways I've just got from that, which I hadn't thought about, it's a hybrid working piece. If you've got um, someone that's embarking on a career in sales that has never worked from home before or done hybrid working, then that's really interesting. Because mm. it's a skill in itself, isn't it? If you've yeah. not learned the, the industry that you're in, you don't have to sell that service or solution, um, and you've never worked from home before, then that, I imagine, is a real, real great insight for a company to have to get a sense of that. Because um, it's it's difficult to challenge some people just aren't built for working from home, and that's okay. They just find it tough. Yeah, and I and I think you know the 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 people that have or the work the the the, the workforce or the part of the workforce that have struggled the most or i feel sorry for or have the most empathy for mm. i suppose is is the the graduate or the entry level yeah. early career intake post pandemic because 
I think there's a great amount that you learn about an organisation, not just about the job, but the people and the connection with the people and the culture by meeting them face to face. And when you when you look at you look at the stats about why people would want to go to the office or what they miss about going to the office, uh, it's the connection and it's the connection with the colleagues. It you know it's going out for lunch or meeting at the coffee machine or talking about I don't know. Um, the football last night and how bad their team was or whatever it might be, it's that that they miss. And and, yeah. I, and I think entry level and the, the 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 younger workforce that have come into into employment have, have probably lost something there. And so understanding a, a person's behaviour and their personality and how they might cope with that hybrid nature of working and the fact that they're not going to be connected with people as much as a manager, I think it's really important to help support them in their first 12 months. Yeah, I and agree. Yeah, and we, you know, the first 12 months of any new job is really crucial. But if you think about the the the, the graduate market or the entry level market, that's even more crucial because, you know, this is their first ever job. And they've, yeah. you know, first, there's a lot there's a lot to learn, isn't there? There's a lot of adaption and that you need to, to, to go through when you first start. Just thinking about obviously psychometric tests and in terms of maybe impacts because we hear a lot about you know diversity and inclusion and Mm. you know so I'm really interested to just try and dig a bit deeper into that and the kind of impact that you guys have seen um, on the back of yeah the the psychometrics sorry. So there's no doubt that that one of the key the key metrics that a solution can help deliver is diversity and inclusion. and if we think about the the whole process of recruitment, um, creating a job profile, an advert, looking at a CV, doing an assessment day, or interviewing people, it's it's riddled with potential bias across all of those little things. Yeah. And you know there are what over 180 different cognitive bias. Um, that I think we've got recorded now and you see them playing out in recruitment all the time Um, so having a solution that allows you to objectively look at a person and not a piece of paper or making a judgment on someone based on the halo effect of when they walk through the door whether you like them or not and you're using your gut feeling your intuition um, is really important yeah because I think we all we all appreciate now that um, effective teams and and creating an effective team, you you need diversity of thought, and you yeah. get that through diversity of background. And yeah. and unfortunately, too often organisations recruit in their own image. So you've got you know affinity bias, whereby I'm going to recruit. Sam, because we support the same football team, or we went to the same university, or we used yeah. to work in the same industry. Um, you've got negativity bias, which is a classic thing in recruitment that I think about, which is hiring managers think more about the reason why you can't do the job than why you can. And particularly at the moment, whereby people are worried about making a mistake. Nobody wants to be the person that hires the person that is not going to work out and leave in six months so they're really acutely aware of getting it right so they will look for any reason to discount you 
that they can possibly think, even if it's not founded on any evidence. So that whole diversity and inclusion piece is really is really important, I think, for organisations. And it's one that we, we talk to companies about on a, on a constant basis. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Mark. Um, I think you've spoken about you know diversity of thought and that comes from different backgrounds and you know companies being open to you know giving people opportunities so um you know having tools like this that could encourage that increase that you know sort of level playing field i suppose if you're um, a candidate or any person joining an organization that's all you that's all anyone ever wants uh, so no I'm, I'm really glad to you know you've said that what what type of insights would you see on a, a thomas profile then that um would help to understand some of this i'm just really curious yeah so, so if you look at behavior it could be um in terms of their their ability to work with and through people so you, i don't want to get too much into the uh into the science of it but fundamentally um have you got someone that's a real people person let's let, let's call them an extrovert for one of a better phrase yeah. And you think that that's the type of profile of person that you need, but actually somebody that isn't that, someone that's more introverted, more reflective, more thoughtful, yeah. could be a really great addition for your team. Uh, similarly, someone that is very detailed or process orientated could be a really good addition to your team. Uh, I think sales is quite an interesting, interesting um, job function in that, typically speaking, most new business salespeople are seen as having really target motivated um what we call in in thomas lang language high d high i so they're really really dominant forceful mm. characters they hit targets uh they're normally quite blunt and to the point and they've got high degrees of people orientation so they're really good with working with people life and soul of the party etc yeah and you know there's a there's a common i think misconception that well you need that to be successful yeah. in sales well actually in what situation is that always the case because yeah. you might need someone that's got more detail orientated someone that is a little bit more process driven um for certain roles and for certain jobs might be more beneficial and for certain teams might be more beneficial because if you've got everyone in the same team that is a team of sams with all the same yeah. profile you'll want to balance that out with other behavioural traits. And there's no there's no reason why they can't be successful in a, in a sales role. The starting point comes from the self-awareness. So self-awareness, I think, from the line manager and from the business, but also self-awareness from the individual. Because again, we shouldn't just look at these insights in terms of what they're giving the company. We should also look at them in terms of what they're giving the candidate and what do they give in terms of insights about themselves that actually make them think actually that's interesting I didn't know that about myself or actually yeah I can see that that is the case but I hadn't ever thought about it like that yeah so it's two-way so interesting it really is really interesting and what you've just said there um dovetails quite nicely and we're, we're keen to take the conversation so we talk a lot about um an interview process should be enjoyable but it should be challenging by the yeah. same token as well from the candidate side um what sort of impacts or positive benefits do you think there are in a candidate having to do a, a assessment like this or 
test if it's Thomas or any 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 of the other competitors that that you've got mm-hmm. in the interview process. Yeah. Uh, uh, so um, candidate experience is yeah. a big thing when you talk to an organisation. So when we we talk to organisations, having an effective candidate experience is one of the key things that they want to achieve, and making sure that we're not. De- detracting from the candidate experience because nowadays it's so easy to go on Glassdoor and say awful things mm-hmm. about in, employers and, yeah. and, and yeah. digital media and social media etc so um I think the candidate experience first of all from a, a recruitment perspective they, they need, it needs to be consistent I think candidates need to know what they're doing but more importantly why they're doing it and that it's consistent across the board for each applicant yeah and I think the 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 candidate experience also has to be um relatively quick because otherwise you've got that that fatigue that sets in if you've got too many stages and you're asking the candidate to jump over too many hoops then you'll get candidate dropout so you have to think about your selection process why you've got certain things in there and where it's going to add the most value. So I think the, the organisation needs to think about that before then thinking about where we come in. Yeah. But we often uh, will consult with organisations, and I think a key part of our job is to consult with organisations to help them with that. Because again, not, not every company knows how a selection process should work. Um, and lots of organisations uh, find the idea of recruiting and interviewing quite daunting and and they they need some help and guidance and I know that's something that yeah. that you BMS do a lot of work with to to help consult on that so we would do something very very similar actually but um one of the great things that you can do with Thomas solution that um shameless plug is unique uh, <laughs> is that is that when a profile is done by an applicant they get to see what it says about them right okay and they and they've got so they they immediately get that insight and that was done deliberately because I think for years people have often had quite a negative view of psychometrics because they don't know what it said about them so it's been it's been used as part of a selection process they've been unsuccessful they've not really understood why they're doing it and they've got no idea what it said yeah and that's what I was, and, and and that's what I was going to ask you I was going to say in your view should companies share these results because that's been my experience when I've worked with candidates and they've done an assessment um, with um, another provider and then they've not been given those results. I think it's a poor candidate experience for the reasons that yeah. you've said yeah. and it's often um, sometimes been used again in my experience as a computer says no tool so the test to be put in at the beginning of the process that we used by the company for them to assess whether or not they even want to interview the candidate in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we Thomas's view of the, of of these of these solutions is that we we want to democratize this for people. So we want them to be um, insights that are easily um, visible to the candidate that's using them, to people in the organisation, but also, you know, our future state in when you're actually working in a business is. To, to have the access to what these insights are saying about you um, as an always on 24 seven solution, not to be something that you do once yeah. as part of a job process. 
or an interview that then get tucked away to have access to these people insights to help power um, interactions at work to help um, collaboration to help more uh, teams work more effectively together so we're not of the belief that these things should be administered by people in HR that have only understand the results and the insights they should be easily accessible to the candidate but also to line managers as well within the business because again we want to break away from that disconnect whereby HR have said you've got to do a psychometric line manager gets given it they don't really understand what it says yeah. and it's meaningless and and then they end up maybe making a decision based on the psychometric just because it says it they should but they don't actually know why they're doing it yeah I was speaking to um, a national sales manager within the orthopedic uh, market going back you know, quite a few weeks ago and we had a, a really good conversation regarding their opinions on psychometric testing and they were sort of sort of torn between them and I think they were assessing their sales team. Um, uh, quite a few profiles have you know, passed psychometric tests, been onboarded onto the team, unfortunately not worked out for any odd reason. Um, However, there's also been cases where, you know, depending on the results of the personality test and certain profiles have come on and probably been recommended as, you know, not as likely to succeed. Um, however, you know, this salesperson on their team has turned out to be the best sales professional that they've got on the team, you know, going back for the past sort of five plus years. And the recommendation was probably not to take this person on. But, you know, this person was successful and as testament to, you know, probably against the the science, shall we say. So my question is probably more on emphasis and how much emphasis should a business really put in place on the result of, you know, the result of the psychometric test? Well, that's the um, million dollar question, isn't it, Sam? So thank thanks, thanks for that one. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, de it, it depends. And, you know, ultimately, you could have uh, a really robust interview process that includes people science psychometrics in it you could have one that has a face-to-face -face assessment day you could have a you know a, a real good uh, way of collecting references you could ask people to do role plays you know there's another uh, a really great tool i think for selecting salespeople is to actually right you know i'm not saying sell me the pen but something a little bit more yeah. sophisticated than that um to, to to get them to show you how to do the job yeah. but yeah. ultimately you, you're always going to make a mistake and um, I think a lot of the time organisations are trying to find the silver bullet to make recruitment foolproof. Yeah. And I don't think we'll ever get there. And um, I know we're in an age of AI enabled this and that. Um, I, I'm not sure we'll ever get to that point because it's, you know, recruiting the right person and having the ability to do that and then making them successful in the role and I think particularly in sales, it's complex. It, it, it's complex and there's so many variables to it um, that I don't think you'll ever get to that particular thing. I think you need a breadth of data, though. That's one thing I do think you need. And you need to look at things over a period of time. How much, then, Matt, do you subscribe to the view that um, the results of an assessment are dependent on like the mood that the candidate might have been in on the day that they did it, what was going on externally for them? Because again, we, we see that, haven't we, in, in, in the past? Yeah. And in my experience, that's been um, something that I've spoken about with hiring managers, rightly or wrongly. But yeah, keen to get your thoughts on that. Well, there is a thing called test anxiety. Okay. You know, and, and particularly if you're doing something which is 
not necessarily psychometric, but more of an aptitude test, um, particularly something that involves numbers. Yeah, which is not necessarily my strength. And um, certainly a lot of people um, would yeah. feel that. So you do have that. And, you know, can you imagine you're, being, you're in that situation whereby you have to get a certain score to mm. be successful at a job, then you'd expect some sort of test anxiety. So I think that's a real thing. Yeah. We also need to be um, uh, very aware of neurodiversity. Okay. I think is you know in terms of if we're if we're asking people to do certain um, tests around cognitive ability, we have to be aware of new neurodiversity as well. So I think that that's a thing. And yeah, you know what's going on in your personal life and your work life, I think does have an impact. If you if you think about our behavioural profile, that will change um, in the course of a year. You know, it's not a mass, it's not going to be a massive change, but it will fluctuate to some degree. And it could be that you hate your job because you hate your manager or you hate the product you're selling or you hate the market or whatever. Mm. It could be that you've got problems outside of of work that are affecting your 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 behavior as well. So those those, you know, should be taken in, into consideration. I'll ask a question, Sam. I don't know if you're going to, Dan. Um, what, what advice would you give to um companies markets to where they should use something like this in their recruitment process i mean first of all i'd want to understand what what their current process is and um, where they see their biggest challenge Um, because there is undoubtedly a challenge in in talent acquisition with with larger companies that increasingly are being asked to do more with less than have got this huge shortlist of candidates to try and get down to a manageable uh, number. And as as we all know, recruitment is a really time and labour intensive job. It still is even today. So um, making that that as streamlined and as effective as possible is a thing. And, and, and no doubt people science can play a part in doing that and enable you to get down to that. I think uh, from my perspective, uh, the, the power in what we do is further down you know, in, in, in more so in terms of making the right decision when you hire and then helping support that post hire. Um, so that's where I would see that we would offer the, the, the most value. But, you, you, you know, you can you can use these things to make decisions further up. Um, yeah. So it would it would very depend on where 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 the organisation had the challenge and the, the pinch point. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, I've got a question just on the back of that, because we've sort of dovetailed nicely into obviously retaining and developing mm. individuals within a business so you know I suppose how could psychometric tests be be used to do that within a company in terms of re- uh, retaining and developing people um, you know you've got the ability to understand someone's uh, workforce behavior but then also personality to help identify um, how to manage them so they can be used in coaching conversations uh, and to support coaching conversations. You've also got the ability to identify people with the right leadership potential. So one of the things that we're able to support organisations with is, um, okay, how do we not just recruit people that have got management or leadership potential, but um, how do we identify um, individuals in the organisation that have got that? And where are the potential gaps? 
um, in, in leadership potential. So and, and then from there, what do we need to do to to bridge that? So one of the things that we're able to do is understand someone's um, innate ability to to be curious and to be open minded which is a really important skill in organisations now because business is changing at such a rapid pace that you need to constantly reskill yourself. So you want an, a, an individual that is open to new ideas, has the growth mindset that we talked about, isn't going to just stay to the tried and tested and is, is comfortable in that. Uh, now, the individual needs to be aware of where they're at as a starting point. And then once they've got that self-awareness, what can they do to increase it? Because you don't just say, well, I've got that level of curiosity. That's it for the rest of my life. You can develop yeah. these things in the way in the way that you develop resilience. And yeah. people often come to us saying we've got a recruitment challenge. I need more resilient people. As if. Right, OK, that's it. Now, resilience is something that you again, it's complex. It, it's not just about you as the person. It's also about your environment and how you respond to it. Yeah. And uh, resilience you can develop. Yeah. You can become resilient um, if you know how. But the first point is that self-awareness before you then look at the right intervention. To get a bit um, more practical on this, because I'm thinking of putting myself in the shoes, let's say I'm a um, recruitment manager or a senior um, talent professional, and I'm using Thomas or another similar um, type of assessment. I'm using it for the interview side, but not particularly well for this retention and development piece. Obviously, you don't need to um, name name company names, Mark, but can you think of any um, examples that would be useful for the audience to hear of where you've got clients that are doing a really good job on this? Are they um, you know, setting um, meetings with leaders every two months, three months to say, right, this is where you know where we're at with the people that we've brought on. Have they got milestones? Just anything practical that people could take away that listening that might be beneficial on this particular subject. <clears throat> so, um, in terms of organisations that are are being effective in terms of the the onboarding and then yes. the continual development, yes, that that yeah. piece, yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's. It's it's pretty much um, it's very similar to what we've been talking about, really. So, uh, you know, the organisations that first of all have got a joined up recruitment and development strategy, but then to answer the question more from an L and D perspective, the organisations that have the uh, L and D team working um, inside the 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 functional teams i've got you and yeah. they're not so what they're not doing is they're not siloed as an lmd team uh pumping out training and content yeah every six months that they're then saying is mandatory for the sales team to attend right they're actually and they're and they're not and they're not necessarily going to line managers and line managers are sort of giving them an order of things that they need to do and saying that training is the intervention they're actually working inside of the, the 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 functions and they're understanding the challenges and the people in those functions and tailoring development to the individuals at the point they need it yeah um as opposed to doing this sort of holistic one size fit all training intervention 
Yeah, that makes that sense. The, yeah, yeah. Question, yeah. yeah, makes sense. Yeah, re- re- really, really useful. Really useful. Again, one of, one of the one of the challenges that L and D faces and has done for a while, but I think you know, COVID has accelerated this. Is you've got to you've got to try you've got to really understand the challenges of someone's job, and you've got to understand that they will they will often be trying to find answers to problems before you've even been aware of it and they've got to understand that we google our way through life and that we find we find out yeah youtube youtube is the biggest uh, learning platform in the world so if sam's got an issue with a call that he's coming up this afternoon which he doesn't look like he has and it's very confident but um yeah he might not speak to mike he might actually have an answer he might have worked it out for himself so i think yeah. l and d teams that understand that and are really in bed with sam and can support that um are the ones that are making this work yeah and that's the people science other... the people science helps with that yeah yeah that's no, interesting that's a whole other podcast topic in itself isn't it um yeah. lnd teams working with set working yeah. with sales teams and um, with getting close to, to the end of the, this episode so we've flown through it but i do want to touch on um one topic before we start to wrap things up um with regards to um how this solution can help a company widen their pool of available talent. Um, the sales recruitment market right now, it is more balanced from an employer candidate perspective than it was four or five months ago, I would mm. say. Um, but candidates um, do still have a lot of opportunity and the age old problem of companies finding great talent and enough calibre salespeople it's still there and you know it always will be so i'm curious to get your thoughts on how companies can can use these assessments tests insights to widen a potential um pool of talent yeah so i mean this comes back to that whole sort of skill shortage so you know we, we can go onto linkedin today and they'll be inundated with posts from organizations thought leaders about the the challenge of of the skill shortage you can look at Gartner research and it would be talking about the skill shortage and yet when you look at job adverts on LinkedIn or or you know the job boards you wouldn't think that that existed because you see job adverts with requirements that are just so fantastical if that's a word I could use yeah, you think, yeah, how yeah. on earth are you ever going to find people and I think it comes back to this this challenge that when I, I was talking to a talent acquisition leader recently that they spend most of their time battling with line managers around who to take on the fact that you know you, you're asking me to try and find a, a moon on a stick for one of a better phrase uh that they they know is just not out there and it's it's you know again a lot of line managers comes back to this negativity bias right let's Let's look for something that's an identical fit. They need to have sold the product before and they need to have sold into the same industry. And they they almost can't look outside of that. Then sometimes they don't even have the, the ability to look outside of it. Yeah. So People Insights can help talent teams do that because it's about potential. It's not necessarily about, right, this person's got five years selling capital equipment or 10 years in the SaaS industry. Um, it's about right, these are the behaviours that this person's got. This is their potential. Mm. And as the talent team, you can advise your business 
as part of your talent strategy as to the types of people you should be taking on to increase the talent pool. And that's really what it's about. Yeah. So we're able to, I think, help talent teams upskill themselves and move away from being, again, we talked about L&D being order takers. Talent teams can be order takers because if all you're doing is going to your line manager and saying, right, you know, it's like um, ordering at McDonald's, what would you like? Uh, then I wouldn't say that's really talent advice. I would say yeah. that's order taking. So yeah. that's how I think we, we support um, talent teams. So, Mark, we started off the call. Uh, we spoke about, you know, um, the year that you guys have had, um, the challenges that overcoming off the challenges that you've also done, which is fantastic. Um, we're in the age of, you know, artificial intelligence. What does the future and we think about evolution sort of going forward? Um, yeah, what does the future look like for you guys? Yeah, so we've got a lot of exciting innovations that we're, we're working on currently that I think you'll start seeing more of from us in the next 12 to 18 months. For Thomas, um, it's very much about offering our solutions as a as a, a complete employee lifecycle solution. So um, you're able to access these over and above just recruiting, as we mentioned earlier. Mm. We've been talking a lot about recruitment um, and and helping support people and helping them collaborate and connect uh, more effectively and helping them perform as a team better in the workplace. That's uh, yeah. that's what you'll you'll hear more of from us in the next twelve to eighteen months. Fantastic! Sounds sounds awesome. Right, that's a great way to um to wrap up. So thank you very much for your time, Mark. That was a fascinating conversation, really interesting, and I think I learned a lot there. I'm sure you did too, Sam. Uh, I certainly did, Mark. It's been a pleasure to meet you at last. I've been looking forward to this conversation, and yeah, I've learned a great deal. I'm pretty sure our audience will take up um, quite a lot of what we've discussed. So yeah, thank you, Mark. Been great to meet you. Yeah, thank you, Sam, and uh, nice to meet you too. And and thanks, Mike, for inviting me on. All good. Um, Mark, where can people find out um, a bit more about you if they've got any questions or they want to reach out after this? Uh, yeah, they can connect, follow me on, on LinkedIn. Um, you can log on to the Thomas website and uh, see a little bit more about what we've got to say for ourselves on that. Um, but uh, yeah, feel free to connect and uh, share more insights with you. So you can find a link to Mark's LinkedIn page and Thomas in the description below. So yeah, hope everyone really enjoyed that and got a lot from it and we'll look forward to seeing you all again next week. Bye for now. Bye.